Today's episode of The Rewatchables is brought to you by 90 Day Fiance. With an engagement ring in one hand and a passport in the other, seven Americans will try and prove that romance isn't dead. It's just 5,000 miles away. After falling in love online, these singles are now flying halfway across the world to meet their potential soulmate for the very first time. Will it be an epic love story or an epic disaster? Find out on the new season, 90 Day Fiance, before the 90 Days, Sunday at 8 on TLC, streaming on TLC. Go. We're also brought to you by ZipRecruiter, the presenting sponsor of the Bill Simmons podcast. Check them out at ZipRecruiter.com slash BS. And now, the rewatchables. John McClain, officer of the NYPD, tries to save his wife, Holly Gennaro, and several others that were taken hostage by German terrorist Hans Gruber during a Christmas party at the Nakatomi Plaza in Los Angeles. All things being equal, I'd rather be in Philadelphia. This is Die Hard, The Rewatchables. They've got the building. They have already killed one hostage. They've got the odds. They've got his wife. No, no! Now, he's got one night to get it all back. You really think you have a chance against us, Mr. Cowboy? yippee Bruce Willis in 40 Stories of Sheer Adventure. Die Hard, Rated R. Oh, this is going to be a good one. I'm here with my team of highly trained European bank robbers, Jason Concepcion. Hello. Sean Fennessy. Yippee-ki-yay. And Bill Simmons. I just want to point out this movie came out the same year as Midnight Run. Which Sean Fennessy <laughs> didn't want us to do as a rewatchables because it was too old. It's the 30th anniversary of Die Hard. It came out in July of 1988 when it made $83 million domestically. Mm. A quaint $83 million. But it is considered sort of one of the archetypal summer blockbusters. It uh, capped an incredible, not capped, but it came during, I think, probably the peak decade of action movies. It came out the same weekend as Midnight Run. What a weekend. Yeah. That would have been a cool weekend. I probably just would have just camped out in a movie theater for an entire weekend to do it. Uh, Die Hard was written by Stephen E. D'Souza, who I refer to as the Poet Laureate of cop and soldier action movies from the or, 80s he wrote. Or was he? Well, what do you think? I don't know. A lot of ad-libbing in this movie. Sure. Yeah. I mean, let's just say that yeah. he gets screenplay Overrated? Credit. Underrated? Properly rated. <laughs> I don't know. 48 Hours, Die Hard, Commando, The Running Man, and Hudson Hawk. It yeah, was also yeah, co-written amazing. by Jeb Stewart, who wrote one of my favorite uh, underwater horror movies, Leviathan. And Ooh. The Fugitive, which was a rewatchable. That's that a great IMDb. Uh, it was directed by the best direct action director of the 1980s, John McTiernan, yes. who also directed Predator. And a, at some point, has to be a rewatchable movie, The Hunt for October. This is, comes right smack in the middle of an iconic action movie run. For yes. Him. yes. Uh, we can get deeper into what we think is so great about what McTiernan does. But uh, I want to start by talking about the star of the film, Bruce Willis, who made... A very, very uh, well-compensated move from the small screen to the yes. big screen, from Moonlighting to Die Hard. Now, he had been in Blind Date. He had been in a couple 80s Good movies movie, and by stuff the way. like that. But Enjoy on Moonlighting was, I, I guess, Bill, you would be able to answer this better than I was. But like, were you just like, Bill, Bruce Willis is a star. No, I remember when this happened because they paid him $5 million and it was a big deal. Yeah. And I don't, we didn't have the internet back then. So I don't even know why I knew this was a big deal. Was what do we have, like Premiere Magazine? 
Yeah, that, that, was, that was around at that but time. It, however it played out, people were like, Bruce Willis is making $5 million to be well, in no an action movie? What's happening? Time. No one went from TV to the movies yeah. and starred in summer blockbusters. This didn't happen at that time. People tried. Yeah. Like Don Johnson tried. Yeah. Also, yeah. his competition for this role was not other TV actors. It was Schwarzenegger. You know, it was, it was yeah. movie stars. It, it was movie stars. Yeah. And so it represented a pretty big jump. He kind of came out of nowhere and was this wise ass- and he had a good story about being a bartender. Moonlighting was a good show. It wasn't like a runaway success. I actually thought he was more important, like going on Letterman and things like that. Oh, was he, he was like, like a, a great Letterman guest mm. and was just super likable, but did not seem like an action star because that was the era of Sly and Arnold and just big muscle, like well, aggro alpha guys. That's and what, he didn't seem like that. That's part of why Die Hard is so iconic. It's such a paradigm shift for the genre. Yeah. It's like a totally different kind of star, not a muscle-bound guy. He's not a super special forces uh, commando. He's just a guy, basically. And that's like part of the branding for the movie. Yeah. And then the, that became the cliche. Was, yeah, right. It's just a guy and he's caught up in this. But yeah. this was not a cliche in No, this combined the smart-ass, wise-cracking Eddie Murphy in 48 yeah. Hours and Beverly Hills Cop and Kurt Russell maybe in like Big Trouble in Little China or The Thing <laughs> with <laughs> Schwarzenegger, Chuck Norris, Sylvester Stallone level physicality unkillable soldier yes yeah. yeah and and they push him very much to the limit and i think that they the one of the crucial things about die hard and one of the things that you just you always notice is they tr they almost break this guy the feet the I dirtying shirt mm. the sweat the yeah. cuts all over his body he's so bruised and broken by the end of this movie and not in a way where you're like Oh no, I wonder if The Rock's gonna get up from this fist fight. You yeah. know, it's like, yeah. no, this dude could die at any moment and die hard. I and mean, you know he's not. You know, there's a, that air of kind of comedy to the movie that mean, means that won't happen. But there's a, there's a disc, there's a kind of tension in how much punishment can this one guy take. But he's only half of this movie. And the other half of the movie, who arguably might be more important to the success of the movie is Alan Rickman. Oh, man. This is Alan Rickman's feature film debut. Mm. I challenge anyone, he was, I think, 40 when he made this. I challenge anyone to name a better 40 and over debut than Alan Rickman in Die Hard. You'd almost have to come out of jail. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Uh, wow. I did a little research that... They saw him in Dangerous Liaisons. Yeah. The Joel Silver and John McTiernan. And he played the John Malkovich in the stage character play. in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. And they were like, who is this guy? We got to make him the- Is that Velma? The villain. Yeah. 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 Let's make him the villain in Die Hard. And he's he's the best action movie villain of all time. Oh, well, he's, incredible. he's incredible. He's the goat of action movie villains. And he's actually led to a whole bunch of really bad action movie villains yeah. doing a Hans impersonation. Was it's Lithgow and Cliffhanger is the only one who kind of came close. Other than that, it's not been approached. Well, you mentioned Cliffhanger, Bill. Uh, one of the legacies of this movie is that it became a genre unto itself. Mm. Uh, and I remember my dad was a movie critic back then, and um, you know he used to just describe movies this way. It's become a trope. But Die Hard on a X yeah. is a genre of movie unto itself. Die Hard on a bus is speed. Die Hard on a mountain is cliffhanger. Die Hard on Air Force One is Air Force One. Don't forget Die Hard in a prep school, Toy Soldiers. It's a fucking good movie. Yeah. Sean Astin. 
Um, yeah, it's the most, it's the most famous metonym in, in Hollywood. Yeah. It is the thing that is repeated the most in suites with executives, yeah. die hard on a blank. Yeah, it's and you've probably, there are probably still movies sold today using that language, right? No like doubt. Using, we just, this is the year of Skyscraper, the rock movie that is more or less an homage to Die Hard in full. We talked about this during the Speed Rewatchables. When Speed was being made, people were like, all right, enough of the fucking Die Hard ripoffs. Yeah. Like, stop it. Now we're going to do Die Hard and on notably, a bus. notably, that's the directorial awesome. debut of Jan de Bond, yes. who was the director of yeah. cinematography for this movie. And notably, Speed Rules. So yeah. I, it's completely true. Yeah. Also a rewatchable. The four most influential movies of the last 40 years in terms of spawning imitations. Wow, you're going there right now. Yeah. I'm going there right now. Came out between 78 and 88. Halloween, 48 Hours, which spawned everybody, Kaiwa. These guys, should they get along? They don't. Uh, Fatal Attraction, the dot, dot, dot from hell. And thrill. The psychological thriller thing. The Tenet from hell. Right. The dot, dot, dot from hell. And then Die Hard on a Blank. Mm -hmm. Those four things, those four movies combined spawned, I don't know, 500 movies? I would argue that two of those frameworks are dead. Which that, ones? that fatal attraction is not a thing anymore. No, the and from hell's back because it's it's <laughs> made really. a comeback with in with black actors. Yeah, but those those Idris movies Elba are like, is like the films black now. Per, the yeah. from hell who showed up at right. my house and the what's the Ali Larder movie I just watched? I watch what's all these the movies. Ali Larder movie. Ali Larder becomes fixated on so and so. I think obsessed like the ex-wife is the name from of that hell. Movie. Yeah, obsessed. Ali Larder, ex-wife from um, hell. I, it's just that those movies are Jason the, the stakes on them are much lower. I wish Ali Larder would stop. Ali, stop calling me. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, those four movies, the dot, dot, dots. And now we've run out of ideas, basically. I don't know. I think that it's, it's, I think that that is a really, you're right. It's just that superhero movies have kind of wiped that out. You know what I mean? Suck the air out of the entire Superhero movies. He's got a superpower, dot, dot, dot. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) His superpower is his tank top. Um, One other thing that we have to talk about up from the jump though, is um, what makes Die Hard so rewatchable, but also why it just remains so beloved. And part of it, outside of the fact that you, you know, for a movie like this is once you know, uh, this is how he wins this fight. This is how they. This is this is how they get you know the people off the roof. This is how he rescues Holly. Is the vibe, and there's a lot of debate about whether or not this is a Christmas movie, <laughs> or whether or not you think it's a Christmas movie or not. This is uh, actually part of a nice legacy of '80s movies that are that use Christmas in an action movie. Shane Black is the king of this. Did it specifically in yeah. Lethal Weapon. It, uh, I thought a few times while I was watching this, is this a Shane Black movie? Even though I knew it wasn't, mm. I was well, still kind of like, feel, right? yeah, yeah, the zippy dialogue yeah. and everybody's got a quip. Sax in the beginning yeah. to open up the the like the music kind of feels it's it that L.A. setting. You know, there's a lot of debate, like I said, about whether or not Die Hard is a Christmas movie, mm-hmm. but um, whether or not you think it's a but that's a it's not a Christmas movie. I, to me, it's like the hot dog. Is that a sandwich or not? Argument. <laughs> Just means we're spending too much time online if we're arguing about this. It came out in July. Yeah. Yeah. Christmas in July. It was a summer. Record, it's a right? summer movie. It happened to take place on Christmas Eve. There's no holiday spirit. It's not something you get together I've and watch the week of. Now, ho 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 ho. It's fine. It literally ends with a music cue. Let it snow. <laughs> it's not a holiday movie. It's not. Some that, people say is Home it is Alone the a holiday best movie? Christmas movie. Home Alone, Home Alone 100%. is hundred yes. percent. Home Alone is a is a. Are you serious? <laughs> wow, it's a fucking kid comedy. What's well, a Christmas movie? Then. Bill Simmons Wait. killed Christmas. <laughs> Christmas Vacation is a Christmas movie. Bill, 
Come on, man. This is I going think into the movies. Fiction isn't that good category. <laughs> yeah. Bullshit takes that, that was shared on that this. Was, First of all, classic Chris Ryan twist. <laughs> I fucking love Pulp Fiction. I just pointed out that what's this Bruce Willis's girlfriend is the worst 10 minutes of my life ever in a movie. That doesn't mean I didn't like the movie. We'll be adjudicating this until you do the rewatch. No, I think there's, there are Christmas movies and mm. then there are movies that happen to take place during Christmas. Sure. And this is sure. in the latter. It's not a Christmas movie. I think we can agree to disagree. As Thank a you. Let's agree to disagree. Would you agree that the extra action elements of this movie be it the the you know hard luck romance between holly and bruce willis the friendship between john and al the the what a friendship nobody's ever bonded on a couple phone calls more than those two guys (laughs) they talk for like nine minutes total (laughs) super tight they're vacationing in mexico it's weird it's like that was how i used to talk on the phone with like girls in eighth grade yeah like you get off the phone no you get (laughs) off the phone uh but the, the extra action parts of this movie are what make it so beloved over the years that if it was just straight action, if it was just under siege and Tommy Lee Jones is really yeah. good, but it was mostly about like guys getting stabbed, you wouldn't care as much 30 years later. Well, I think going back to the Christmas thing, I what, what this movie does really well is subvert your expectations while also fulfilling them. And I think the classic Shane Black Christmas in Los Angeles is just a great setting for that. You want... Where's the snow? You're expecting the snow. You're hearing the Christmas music and it's like 70 degrees out. The sun is setting in this gigantic red fireball. And John McClane is wandering around going like, wow, Los Angeles, man. Yeah. This is crazy. Yeah. There's two things about it that stick with me as I think about it. As a kid, when I saw it, it was one of the first movies that talked about movies. Mm -hmm. It's so obsessed with Westerns and John Wayne and the cowboy and Roy Rogers as the running bit. Rambo. Yeah, it's it's so self-referential and so clever. And when you're a kid and you see a movie like this, you're like, oh, shit, movies know about movies. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, like, it just looks cool. It looks like they spent a lot of time on it. You know, like, I was listening to the commentary track, and they talked about how the whole production design is just aping Frank Lloyd Wright. Because Joel Silver, the producer of this movie, was obsessed with the architecture of Frank Lloyd Wright. So the movie just had this really distinct look. It's in this weird plaza that feels like a building maybe you visited one time to, like, pick up a package or something. And... It's just so, like, it, it just sticks in your mind the way that it looks. I still get, like, a little bit jacked up when I go into uh, into Century City and, and go into any <laughs> of those skyscrapers. I'm just, like, it's pretty cool. I you actually, I had no idea until I moved here that Nakatomi Plaza was a real thing. Yeah. 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 I thought it was just made for the movie. Like, like it whatever. was just they were using one and then they were yeah. kind of, yeah. It's, you drive tr- by it, it's like, whoa, that's crazy. What's the truth? It was the corporate office of 20th Century it's, Fox? Yeah, Fox Is that Tower, yeah. And I think that they were still moving into it. Okay. Uh, so I don't think it was fully operational at the time, but yeah, it's that's that's what they they use. And yeah, I think, right. I think it's important to set the framework of what action movies were like in the mid eighties. Yeah, for well, sure. Because like when First Blood came out in eighty two, and that's that's like a really pure old school movie that the first forty minutes are still really good. Yeah. But even that was kind of groundbreaking. Um. And then it starts evolving and it, and it becomes campier and campier, leading to Cobra in '86. I love which Cobra. Was just an insane movie, and I, would be a really good rewatchable. I don't, still don't know what the plot was. It's who just the a, bad guys were. The introduction of this is an aside. The introduction of of Stallone's character is that he pulls up to his parking space, and there's like a punk sitting on a car, and he just walks up to him and tears the guy's shirt off for like because he mouthed <laughs> off to him. Yeah, <laughs> and he has a toothpick. Yeah. But it's like in this four-year span, 
action movies just got crazier and crazier and like Predator and Commando and there were quippy one-liners left and right. And it really started to go off the rails and Die Hard like kind of brought it back. And then we had this really nice run, Die Hard, Lethal Weapon, Lethal Weapon 2, Terminator 2, where all of a sudden they were really well done. They were not well done until this movie. And I think that was one thing that stood out. You know what's notable about this one, too, in that lineage? A lot of those movies in the late 70s and early 80s, like Death Wish, which you always talk about, and and First Blood. and some Those movies were essentially like idea movies. They were yeah. like, the streets are running rampant with crime. Right. Or PTSD is real and you need to think about it. vengeance movies right. rather than protection movies. Right. The war right. comes home with First Blood. Exactly. Yeah. They, had, they had some sort of th- strong thematic element. And as you move into the mid to late 80s, like... These movies are just fun. Like, we're, we're obviously going to spend a lot of time talking about, like, what Die Hard means and how it influenced Hollywood and all this other stuff. But there's no, like, grand idea in Die Hard. In fact, Hans Gruber does this amazing job of basically, like, mocking the idea of being a terrorist for freedom. Like, yeah. that's not what he's interested I in I love at all. that. And the fact that the villain, all he wants is money, is representative of what the movie wants, which is money. It's, an, it's just an interesting shape that it's taken. So we did this during Midnight Run. I'm doing it again. Best Actor in 1988. Gene Hackman, Mississippi Burning, Tom Hanks Big, Dustin Hoffman, Rayman, Edward James Almost, Stan and Deliver, Max von Sydow, Poe the Conqueror. Bruce Willis, not nominated. Could, could and should he have been nominated? No. I have, a, I have like a, a lot of thoughts about Bruce Willis. I don't think he should have been nominated, but I think that this kick starts like one of the most interesting and underrated runs in movie history. I can't think of one other person who I would have wanted as John McClane over Bruce Willis. I think he's irreplaceable. It's yeah. one of the m- more miraculous. We're going to get he's into the casting. Awesome what ifs, in but this. the fact that he got this role over the people who were being touted for it. And you think about what would be different about movie history if this, you know, it's a huge what if. Yeah. It feels like it should have been a Harrison Ford movie. They, they offered it. To yeah. Me, and it something went wrong at the, I know Schwarzenegger, we can go through all the what yeah, ifs, we'll get, but we'll like, be- if this is a Harrison Ford movie, which it really could have been in uh, 19 different scenarios. Mm-hmm. I just don't think the one-liners work as well. Like what he's so fucking likable in the movie and just the way he carry the way he pulls off scenes by he's by himself for half the, the movie yeah. basically. Ultimate audience avatar. Like yeah. there's it's so rare to see a movie like this and be like that guy kind of looks like me. Like yes. I, I kind of feel like I could do that or I I too would probably do the, make the stupid mistake of taking my shoes off at some right. point right. and then never get a chance to put them back on again like all the little mistakes that happen, his hairline's receding, yes. he smokes, he's yeah. a little out of shape, he's wearing a fucking tank top that gets dirty. It's like all those choices are amazing. He doesn't tear his tank yeah. top off. You know, like he's like, oh, I'm trying to like wash myself off in a bathroom like a schmo. It's all really effective. All that's st- what that all what all those the, the like accumulated effect of all that stuff is, is it. Uh, is a sly critique of like the action movies of the 80s at the time. It's like, hey, this is ridiculous, right? What if it was like this? What if it was more like right. you? And that's why Die Hard is so iconic. I mean, he's just all the kind of like the monologuing stuff when he's like, man, I can't believe this is happening. You know, fly out to the coast, yeah, have to a few coast. laughs. <laughs> and it, just like, and he's constantly like, I cannot believe this is happening to me, which was not a thing that happened in 80s movies, 80s action movies at the time. I, I left out Total Recall was another really smart, mm-hmm. advanced, next level yeah. type there's of movie. Like, there's that whole this started that run. sci-fi element of it, the aliens to mm-hmm. Total Recall. Like there's like that, there's the, I think that there's also, you're right, Bill, because like when you go back to watching some of those 
It's like Conan and and uh, none of them hold up. They like, don't hold even up. the Running Man, which was fucking awesome in the theater in 1987. Yeah, the Running Man is ridiculous. You watch that now, you're like, what? Like they shot that on like a CBS yeah. soundstage. Yeah. yeah, it's like a cheap Hunger Games. Best supporting actor, 88. This is the bigger crime to me. Alec Guinness, Little Domit, Domit, Dumit, Dorit. Is it Dorit? Oh yeah, I can't see. Little Dorit. Little Dorit. Kevin Klein, who won Fish Called Wanda. Martin Landau, Tucker the Man in His Dream. River Phoenix, Running an Empty. Dean Stockwell, Married to the Mob. I can't believe Alan Rickman didn't get nominated. I don't think that they they knew how to deal with a movie like this. I, don't I agree. Really, like if you if you redid that, he wins the category. I so think. that's already an awesome category because you've got Kevin Klein who wins for a comedy, a very rare win for a comedy. Yeah. And you've also got Dean Stockwell nominated for Married to the Mob, also a comedy. Yeah. So it's one of the few categories where you can like kind of flex genre wise. Yeah, right. But I, I think it, it's too soon. I wonder if a role like this kind of sets the stage for somebody like Heath Ledger winning mm. in the same category twenty yeah. years later. You know, because that's, I don't think that the Joker can happen and be like a credible and laudatory role, if not for something well, like this. When was Batman? The next year? Yeah, that was yeah. Nicholson. So you had Alan Rickman and Die Hard. You had Nicholson as the Joker. And then all of a sudden it became the cool thing yeah, to be Hopkins like the villain. And, uh, and that leads silence. to some really right. bad movie choices. <laughs> and I think you start to Dick see Tracy. really yeah. great actors. Once Rickman does this, really great actors start to say like, not only do I get a paycheck, but have a lot of fun in this I movie. Have the yes, like and, that's the yeah. and in the 90s, that's when you start getting these Michael Bay, Jerry Bruckheimer movies that are basically packed to the gills with guys who have Oscar nominations. Mm-hmm. And you see something like Con Air where you're like, every single time I look around, it's like Malkovich, Buscemi, <laughs> yeah. Nicolas Cage. It's just, you know, whether you're watching or The Rock where it's like Sean Connery and Ed Harris are like going toe to toe. And you're like, this is a stupid movie. You guys are really trying hard. Two really good ones. Tommy Lee Jones and Under Siege yes. is like way overqualified to be the villain in that movie. It's <laughs> yep. not a good movie. And he makes it really good. I shouldn't say that. It is a good movie. I love that But movie. it's a good movie and, uh, because of Tommy Lee Jones. It's Yeah, he's so... If it's anybody else, it doesn't work. Lithgow and Cliffhanger is really good. And I stand... I still, I still fuck with Cliffhanger. It's so good. <laughs> Cliffhanger is really good. Shades of it in uh, Mission Impossible Fallout. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, but, that, but that character has also gone really wrong. And it's the biggest flaw in Passenger 57, which is a movie that is... Really good, except for the villain. The villain's so bad, he's like a parody of a parody of a parody of somebody being Hans. Yeah. And Toy Soldiers is another one. The guy the guy in Toy Soldiers is awful, but it's gone badly. Yeah. The Alan Rickman impersonations, you could make, you, we could do a whole podcast about how What's they've the gone wrong. What's the most recent Alan Rickman type villain? Snape. Assuming he's understood to be a villain. Uh, I'm going to say no simply for the fact that, one, not a villain, and two, um, you, you never really know what Snape wants until the very, 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 very end. Whereas uh, Gruber, also you don't, you're not really sure what he wants until about midway through the film, but when you find out everything falls into place, it makes sense. And that choice too of making, of like, it's, su- it's such an 80s choice to be like, everybody's sold out. Even the terrorists have sold out. Even the Red Army faction guys from Germany have sold out and they just want money now. Uh, and it's, you never, when he holds the screen, you're never like, why do these uh, kind of no-name lackeys, why do they follow him? You never think that about him because he's so smart and ruthless and he shifts gears so much in that character. When he when he pretends to be the American guy, when McLean comes across it's him, really oh good. my oh, God, oh. oh no, man. <laughs> That's like, wow. Rickman, incredible. Nice suit. John Phillips, London. I have two myself. 
I think the most shocking actor who took a role like this for me was Philip Seymour Hoffman in one of the Mission Impossible. Maybe that's one like that. I was like, I was like, really? It lifts that movie completely. And he's yeah. fucking amazing in that yeah. movie. He is great. And that's that not movie. a great movie, but he's great in it. Yeah. And, uh, it seems like every real actor has tried has just gotten sucked into doing it once. Oh yeah, for sure. De Niro and, basically in Cape Fear, I guess, is his version mm-hmm. of that. He does like the crazy lunatic version, but they all have to kind of try it. Did Pacino do it? I guess that's, he did Dick, Dick Tracy. Tracy yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 And I think that in like the Devil's Own and some of those like kind of not quite as action movies. He movie, does it in The Devil's Advocate too, which is like the craziest performance of all time. Right. Where he's playing literally the oh, devil. Yeah, the devil's yeah, advocate, not the devil's own. Is it the devil's own or the devil's advocate? The devil's own is the Harrison Ford movie. Right. Oh, right. That's the, the IRA movie. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The devil's advocate is when Al Pacino plays the devil. Right. Tommy Lee Jones <laughs> under siege, but then stumbles and blown away because he sounds like Chris Ryan doing Bono. Chris <laughs> yeah. Ryan as Bono, as Daniel Day-Lewis. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, you got to get the explosives. <laughs> it's not great. But uh, yeah, Hans... I guess we had these with the Bond villains when we were growing up. Right? I was going to say that super yeah. characters, yeah. but not he, he's not kind realistic. of like it's a it's a riff on a Bond villain. It's definitely it's part of the reason that it works and it doesn't expire now and it doesn't feel weird is because it is already self referential on like the Blofeld kind of European yeah. money hungry world domination person. You know what I mean? It's a comment on that, and that's why it's such a clever. The same way that John McClane is a comment on all the action hero stars that were coming before that. It's a really clever movie for something that seems kind of dumb and straightforward. Yeah, I'm trying to think. I mean, like, you know, a lot of the action movie guys, I think, have kind of gone, they took the wrong lesson from Joker, and they are, like, a little Mm. too bent and demented. And so I'm trying to think of, like, that's one thing that they kind of lost as they get more and more supernatural with their villains. Marvel could use a Hans Gruber. Oh, yeah. Charlize really... Missed it in Fast 8. Oh, yeah. I was going to ask if there was a Fast and Furious villain. She went for it in Fast 8, and I think they filmed all our scenes in like two and a half days in some I, room. I think part of the issue with like, good. with like the Charlize version of the Hans Gruber is Gruber was a, was a delegator, but a leader. Like he didn't know how to hack stuff. He didn't know how to how to had a blowtorch of vault, but he had those people around him and he knew how to marshal yeah. their, their- Trust me, it's yeah, Christmas. He knew how to marshal their <laughs> their abilities into like a cohesive unit. Whereas nowadays, like Charlize is just like the best hacker in the world and she's out to do something. How much do you think the name Hans Gruber played into the enjoyment of Hans Gruber? It's at least 20%. Definitely a factor. Yeah. Great I, villain. Like whoever thought of that, they must've been like, I got the name of the villain. It's a really, really Hans great Gruber. villain name, but I, I have a, I think that you could name him like- Buck Rogers, and when he walks on screen, and we're going to talk about this. Oh yeah, uh, you'll just be like, ah, well, this this is a wrap. This is like a new a paradigm shift. In it's how a great you shot too. On. Yeah, John McClane, also another great name. Great, awesome name, name. John McClane. All right, let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsors, and we'll get into the awards for Die Hard. Let's talk about Udemy. It's the largest and most accessible online learning marketplace with the most courses, teachers, and opportunities for students everywhere around the globe. Udemy has over 65,000 courses from coding to comic book art available anywhere on their website and app. Whether you're home, at the desk, on the computer, using their app, Udemy gives you access to new knowledge wherever you are. Udemy is a great learning tool and has helped students all over the world improve their skills, their careers, and their lives. All you have to do is go to Udemy slash rewatchables, U-D-E dot M-Y slash rewatchables. Right now you get 90% off when you sign up for classes. You will not find a better price. Sign up for classes right now using our link, 
Udemy, ude.my slash rewatchables. Access to life-changing classes for 90% off. And make sure you download their app for your phone so you can stream your studies wherever you are. We're also brought to you by Masterclass. Imagine learning film history from Martin Scorsese or photography tips from Annie Leibovitz. Now you can with Masterclass. They offer online classes top of the best in the world. Each class shot with cinematic production quality offers on-demand lessons loaded with exclusive content you'll find only on Masterclass. You can choose lessons from classes taught by over 35 masters, including Ron Howard on collaboration, Judd Apatow on improvisation, Aaron Sorkin on developing characters, and so many more. Plus, new classes are always being added, whether you're pursuing your passion or developing your career. You'll find a Masterclass for you. They have even been featured by the New York Times, Vanity Fair, and ESPN. We have multiple Sorkin fans at The Ringer who watched the one on Aaron Sorkin was really good. For a limited time, the rewatchable listeners get a free seven-day trial at masterclass.com slash rewatchables. Learn from the best in the world at masterclass.com slash rewatchables. Check it out. Back to the rewatchables. Okay, we are back. Let's start off a little casting what ifs. Uh, Obviously, the John McClane role, we've talked about it, was really, really... It was offered around Hollywood to pretty much anybody with a heartbeat. They offered it to me. I was 19. <laughs> I didn't know what they were talking about. Sylvester Stallone, Harrison Ford, Robert De Niro, Charles Bronson, Nick Nolte, Mel Gibson, Richard Gere, Don Johnson, Burt Reynolds, and Richard Dean Anderson. I don't believe the Burt Reynolds thing. He's too for old. The role. And crucially, just want a little tidbit of information here. This book, this movie is based on a book by Roderick Thorpe. The first, uh, ver- like the prequel to this book, the first in the series that Roderick Thorpe was, re- was writing, was owned by Frank Sinatra. The movie right. rights were owned by Frank Sinatra. So Frank Sinatra, at 70-something, had like the right of refusal to be in Die Hard. And in my, like, ever since I've learned this, all I can do is think of 70-year-old Frank Sinatra That's what I want that dying way. or being like, sugar, you better get yourself out of that building because I'm out of here. Hans, baby. Hans, baby, you're driving us crazy right I'm now. I'm going to and Frank's like, guy's got a martini with my name on it. Really bada bing, bada boom. <laughs> my wife was the greatest piece of ass in either coast. Frank Sinatra would have had a great time with Argyle. Let me tell you something, baby. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are just doing Joe Piscopo doing Sinatra. Yeah, yeah, that's that's fine. That's no, fine. doing Hartman doing the round table. Yeah. Right. Ellis, you're wackadoo right now. They're going to kill you, baby. So, you know, Cue Sinat- ball, you're up next. <laughs> Sinatra is, is Joe Leland, who was originally who John McClane was, in this movie, The Detective, yeah. in 1968. Yeah. I mean, they actually made a movie previous to this. It's amazing how much of the the novel they they kept. Yeah. Like, I, I was going back and reading about the novel for Die Hard, and I thought it was going to be completely different. I mean, really, the only major plot point they changed is they changed, they changed Holly Gennaro from his daughter to his wife. And then everything else is pretty much the same. Interesting. Um, Hans Gruber is different and the villains are different in some ways, but basically the attack on the building is entirely the same, which is kind of fascinating. I have two thoughts on the on the casting what sure, for that. It. I think Tom Berenger would have been really good. I still fuck with Tom wow. Berenger. Yeah. I think, he I think Tom Berenger had a great run. Too dark, too intense. I just think he would have been good. I ride with Berenger. <laughs> no, that's it. You can't, I'm not thinking platoon Berenger. <laughs> I'm thinking someone I'm thinking to watch over League. me. Major League Behringer. Someone to watch over me, Major League oh, Behringer. Wow. Could movies. have been. Yeah. Someone to watch over me, like legit good movie. Shout Mimi Rogers, Pika Mimi. Is. 
Beautiful. Ridley Scott. But I think that character he played in that could have been John McClane. And uh, I, I still ride with Don Johnson, too. I think he could have pulled it off. Wow. I don't think it would have been as good. Too pretty. Too pretty. Yeah, you little beard. I think Don Johnson is in is in play. I love Don what Johnson. What Willis and Frank Sinatra have in common is they have this weird urban ethnic thing that is just like, what are you talking about? Yeah, you know, that's it's like the very thing. slick and like yeah. bending the vowels. And they and really play that up in Jason's three like that. in Die Hard Three, which really is actually like it brings out his New York copness very much. And it's such a great New York movie, and it's all like you know, oh, the subways and this and that. And it's like, welcome to New York. It's constant. Like, it really, like, makes that character so much more of an indelible New York character. Yep. Yeah. And he's such a fish out of water in this film. Willis was the best best choice by far. That's but part of the reason why the movie could have so worked great. with other people. Yeah. Yes. It yeah. just wouldn't have been iconic. I think it would have been amazing, though, if it was Nolte. And it was just like... So Nolte's the worst case there. Right? <laughs> I can't see Nolte moving as fast. As with the vigor that is needed for this world, even no- in 1988, I can't see it. The line readings would be amazing. Though. They're like, go out to the ghost, have a few laughs. <laughs> also, like if he was Jack Cates, Nick Dolte, yeah, that's just what I'm insulting saying. the Germans. Oh, God damn it. <laughs> you sauerkraut eating motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, he would have gotten super racist so yeah, early. Immediately got it in the um, Germans. Really, the only other casting what if they're, they're worth noting is um, that they thought about Sam Neill for Hans Gruber. And Sam Neill, mm. uh, great Australian actor. Yeah. Most people know him probably from Jurassic Park and as um, – the sort of Sean Connery sidekick in Hunt for October. He's incredible in that. Wow. I, I think of him as grown up Damien Omen. That's where I go first with Sam. Oh, Neal. interesting. Oh, wow. interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Almost became the president. Well, he's running he's for an president. Amazing career. Yeah. I just watched in the mouth of madness this week. That's a oh, great yeah. That's a movie great that he's day. in. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Sam Neill, but obviously, you know, once you see Alan Rickman in this, in this movie, it's, it's a career maker and you can't see anybody else in it. So it's amazing that Chris Rock or a Wayne's brother was an Argyle. Hmm. 88 Chris Rock? What was Chris Rock doing? It like as a first role for Chris Rock kind of moment for him. <clears throat> it's pre-New Jack City. It's pre-CB4. Yeah. It would have been like 18. Yeah. Yeah. I would have loved to have known the Argyle casting process, who who were like the final five. We never really And also, s- what happened to Argyle? Yeah, that, we'll get to that later. Yeah. That actor never really did He didn't really pop off. They had some issues. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So those are the casting what ifs. Let's get right into most rewatchable scene. Mm. Wow. Uh, I have a couple of nominations. I think that this probably says a lot about your host in that I've seen Die Hard so many times that I, I know this is, and Andy just made this joke, but this is sort of like saying I, I, I read Playboy for the articles. I actually watch Die Hard for the non-action scenes at this point. Mm. Um, so I am leaning in that direction a little bit for most rewatchable scene. I am fine with you guys nominating other stuff. So let's just go through my nominations here. This is... This is why the Bruce Willis is Pulp Fiction girlfriend. This is Chris's <laughs> flaw. This is your rewatchable flaw. Is that I it's, like the wrong parts of movies? No, you've seen the movies too many times. You start talking yourself into the, the worst parts of the movies. Not, I just saw Die Hard for the first time. Can we talk about him the best wrapping bro- a chain around The best scene neck? is the broken glass scene. It's fucking unbelievable. What? You think that's rewatchable to watch a man's feet? <laughs> it's just <laughs> unbelievable. You put yourself in the position of like, what would I do? The broken glass is like, oh, fuck. He looks down. He sees the broken glass. He's got to go. Like, that's one of the best scenes of all time. Okay. That can be. But I have other ones. Okay. I have the Takagi interrogation. Yeah. Which is really where you see who Hans Gruber is, his charm, and is also his ruthlessness. Can I throw a quick nitpick in? 
Yes. <laughs> They've done all this research on Takagi. He doesn't know what he looks like. They don't have Nexus <laughs> back then or anything. Yeah, they didn't. Lexus, Nexus. I don't know. I think that that's like. No idea who Takagi it was like, which one's Takagi? First of all, there's like three Japanese people in a room of 50. <laughs> so narrow it down there. Also, Takagi should just give up the combo. Just be like, oh, yeah, here it is. Let me just say one of the wildest Takagi, 80s bad tropes. Takagi, uh, I, I actually don't know how I feel about it. One of the wildest 80s tropes is like the Japanese are coming and they're buying our country. Oh, yeah. And it's in so many movies. And it's this is the best version of that one, because he's like a great – He's actually a good – probably yes. will not do a rewatchable on is Gung Ho. Oh, that's no, a tough there's one. Some, there's some bad – Yeah. 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 It, Cho and Chang talk about that. Yeah. They were just talking about that two weeks ago. I was at yes. dinner with them about – that and uh, the guy from Sixteen Candles. Yeah, this air of oh, like yeah. Yeah. Asian Hollywood Long characters. Yeah, the all-time nadir of just how they were treated. Um, but this is—I mean, this is a real Takagi's a real part. James Shigeta, yeah. who plays him, is a yes. real actor. I mean, he was a famous, kind of a famous movie star in the '60s. He's in Flower Drum yeah. Song, and he's in all these musicals. He's from Hawaii. He's—he's he's a really Can one of the a, most well-known Asian American actors ever. Can I pick apart Takagi? First of all. <laughs> Don't give up the combo. Second of all, no. Give up the combo. Give up the combo. I mean, do you think you, you give think up? He the, was I mean, give up the combo. Yeah. Second of all, um, why do you have six hundred forty million dollars worth of bear bonds in your like basement? <laughs> that is a good what question. The yeah. Who? There's why do you need shady, that much money in your? Shady. It's like you might as well put a bullseye in your building that says like. Have a terrorist act and, and steal it's, from it's us. Let me just say, in '88, and like, there's no that's Bitcoin. Like, there's some very four billion dollars now. It's very, it's very Van Zant in heat yeah. kind of situation. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> like I think Takagi is dirty. Also, like that's the under. Oh, that's dirty? I think there's an underlying. What? Yeah, the like six hundred forty million in bear bonds. Like, six, I think he's. So how much is six hundred forty million dirty. now? It's like I'm a lot. Six billion. Yeah, like you know, can't spread that out in some other buildings. Put that in a fucking bank. What are you doing, Takagi? Uh, in this scene, deserve I, to die. This That's is this opinion. is a memorable quote, but I just will say that my, one of my favorite lines in the movie is when Rickman walks into this scene and he's looking over the projects that they have, so and good. he goes, "And when Alexander saw the breadth of his domain, he oh, wept, yeah. for there were no more worlds to conquer." And he turns, he goes, "Benefits of a classical education." Yeah, Love it's it. just such a great <laughs> opening. Like you're like this guy's smart. Yeah. Um, all right. So other rewatchable scenes. Uh, this one is iconic. Ellis gets a Coke. Yeah, that's incredible. The Ellis, this the is, whole Ellis run there. Like Ellis his, is just a The walkie-talkies, them pouring the Coke and him just Hans, Bubby. Business is business. You use a gun, I use a fountain pen. What's the difference? Hans, Bubby, I'm your white knight. This is my favorite scene. This is this guy basically imitating Dennis Miller for an entire movie <laughs> and crushing it. Um, it's the, he's he's by far the the worst actor and character in the movie and also the best. I mean, he yeah. is he sticks out like a sore thumb rewatching it now, but it does one really cool thing in the telling of the story, which is it shows you how smart John McClane is. The minute he realizes that Ellis trying to side with him is going to get him killed and shows that McClane, even though he's just on a phone, is a really, really good cop, is like such a great movie. Yeah. Can we can we just jump ahead in the middle of this most rewatchable to the Mark Ruffalo they knew award? <laughs> sure, because that's Hart Bachner. Just point. Back I actually as, said as that Ellis. we may need to rename the Dion Waiters <clears throat> Award the Hart Bachner Award. <laughs> it may it may be time. Dion has served I, us well. I never realized your de- the dentist. That's a great point by Sean. I hate giving Sean credit ever. But <laughs> God damn it! You're right. That was a really 
kind of over the top Dennis Miller impersonation. Even down to the way he does, like his smile is this really like quippy, like dickish witticism yeah. smile. Like, aren't you getting, amused by what I just said? Yeah, like, I'm clever. getting over I've on you, but yeah. you love it. And I'm saying to myself, they're motivated. They're happening. I.e., they want something. <laughs> <laughs> maybe it's because you're pissed off, or maybe it's the jockeys. It's none of my business. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you're like, what were the 80s I, like? You point to hand I am your white people. knight. <laughs> uh, Hart Bachner. Yeah. My question with that performance is, did he bring it into the filming? And he was just like, I'm doing this. And everybody kind of looked around and were like, what the fuck's he doing? And they just let him go. Or did he hash that out with John McTiernan? I'm sure yeah. that there like, was Here's a, what I'm thinking. He has such a look and it's such an 80s LA asshole. I mean, this yeah. is literally what I thought people in Los Angeles were like until like yes. 2006. Until like no age started putting records out. I thought like everybody in LA yeah. just does coke and right. says, I get it, booby. I'm yeah. all about and it. likes the Lakers. Yeah, loves the Lakers. There's been a couple of variations of this character. The true romance has somebody like this. Yeah. Um, Alan Ruck and Speed on the bus is basically the Hart Bachner character, a little toned back. But uh, yeah, it's the LA character of he's, a he asshole. invents uh, Jeremy Piven's character in Entourage here, basically. Wow, funny, oh, funny wow. connectivity here. I don't know if you guys know much about the career of Hart Bachner. Well known as a good friend of Warren Beatty, the only time he kind of shows up in movies in the last twenty five years is when Warren Beatty makes one. He's <laughs> he appears in the most recent Rules Don't Apply, and he's also in Bullworth. But he's probably best known aside from Die Hard for directing two movies: one PCU, unbelievable, Whoa! and two High School High, the John Lovitz comedy. PCU, uh, mm. I liked it when I was a, a young man. Hasn't aged well. Has not aged well. Yeah. <laughs> have not seen it in a number of years. Yeah. Uh, wow, PCU. I have not thought about that movie in a yeah. long time. That's basically the one thing that's like still salvageable from that movie is when Jeremy Piven says to John Favreau, Don't wear the you shirt. You can't wear the shirt yeah. of the band you're going to see. Yeah. Don't be that guy. Anyway, let's get back to Die Hard. Uh, Ellis gets coke. John tries to get Al's attention. That whole sequence of Al kind of like meandering around in the yeah. driveway. Who's driving this guy, Stevie Wonder? <laughs> and they like yeah. him coming, him like going into the lobby and coming out, and everything he has to do until he finally throws a guy out the window to get Al's attention. That whole thing is so tense. Kind of goes to the glass thing where you're like, what would I do in this situation? How would I get the cops' attention? Because he he tries to do all this stuff when you're like, yeah, but why wouldn't you just call the cops? Why yeah. wouldn't you just start a fire? Why wouldn't you just do this? And it, it's it's such a great moment. I really like the SWAT raid. Yeah, like, it's a and, great one. And Theo being like, you know. Here we go. Night before Christmas. Yeah. And, it is a t- and they have an attack, armored attack vehicle. Um, that Can we go great. back to him breaking the window? Yeah, sure. How did he throw the body out of the window? Like, what do you mean? Just so physically? he throws the body onto Al's car. Yeah. <clears throat> it travels a great distance. Guy's 200 pounds. Do you think the guy's dead, so he's he can't move? Do you think he put him in a chair and pushed him out the window? <clears throat> or did he, like, fling it? And if you fling it, how do you make sure you don't fall out of the window? This I realize this the 193rd time I watched this movie. I'm like... <laughs> How did he pull that off? It travels a did great he, distance did he nudge out him? from the building. Yeah, because, like, he, you have to he imagine it's going like 40 or 50 feet. The thing that I think you don't really recognize is there's a lot of, uh, you know, supporting fiction about the John McClane character that he's actually a, a failed quarterback. 
Then he was like, no, just kidding. <laughs> I was in for a second. <laughs> as a cannon for an arm. No, I don't know. I mean, obviously he travels like, a great distance. Could have thrown a chair, maybe gotten the same reaction from Al. Possibly. I think the, the dead body really. It really. Really, really. That really I just hit really home. love more information than I did that. I also have uh, McLean on the roof's just really good. Yeah. When he, the fire hose. In the theater 30 years ago, him jumping off yeah, the side great. and thinking he Slow was mo. just jumping to his death was great. The, the most crucial part about that scene is he's scared. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. He does that look over the edge and he's just like, God damn it. Like, I can't believe I have to do this. When he actually gets, when he <clears> swings <throat> into the building and the wheel that yeah. the fire hose is on falls and he manages to get the, the fire hose off of him. He makes a truly like, oh my God, I just almost died face yeah. that is like- Incredible and magnetic. Hans pretending to be captured is great. Yes. yes. And then uh, Willis versus Gudnoff is is fucking every time I'm in. It's epic. Yeah. Epic. And also like some context on him because now he's just the guy from Die Hard. That guy was like one of the two best ballet dancers. <laughs> yeah. Yes. He's like not Barishnikov. It was like, yeah. it was like and Barishnikov's like five foot one. And Hans, I mean, uh, what's Fritz? His name is Fritz, right? Yeah. Carl. 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 Oh, Fritz was yeah, his it's brother. Carl and Tony. Right. He calls him Fritz like as a Oh yeah. 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 Um but he he was actually a big guy. I don't, I don't know how he was a ballerina. He seemed like he was a couple inches bigger than Bruce. He was a very elegant man. Yeah. Yeah. He's great. He's great. Uh, any other movie. most rewatchable scenes you want to add? I think these are small but honorable mention for any time the FBI is on screen. Yeah, they're crazy. Johnson and Johnson. I'm, I'm Agent Johnson. This is Special Agent Johnson, no relation. Yeah. And my favorite my favorite line of dialogue in the whole movie is just like fucking Saigon. Hey, yeah, Slick. So I was in junior was... high, dickhead. <laughs> that makes me laugh every yeah. time. I it's love so, that. The little touches of the, the dialogue. When he goes Johnson is so to good. Johnson, no relation. It's just like. Oh, when he's on the radio, this is Special Agent Johnson. No, the other one. <laughs> <laughs> um, honorable. I forget what scene this was, but him shooting under the table at the guy was yeah. really kind of inventive in yes. the late 80s. Yeah. Yes. Now it's like we've seen a million versions of that, but. Also, the guy taunting him with like, end of table or whatever he says. Next time. (laughs) There's no more table. Don't hesitate when you have the chance to kill kill me. (laughs) Meanwhile, he's reloading his fucking submachine gun. Yeah, that was Uh, like a Fortnite death. That was good. All right, we can move. So, what do we say is the most rewatchable scene? I'm going with Ellis gets a Coke. I go Ellis gets a Coke. I I like jumping off the building because you get the FBI agents as well, and I love them. Bill? Really dramatic pause. Wow. <laughs> this is podcasting. I, I really like when Hans pretends to get captured and that uh, the mm, acting that's good. and that that's scene. A good one. It's I just really thoroughly enjoy it and gives him the cigarette. Bill. And I read this on the internet. I don't know if it's true or not, but gives him the German cigarettes yes. that he got off a terrorist. And Hans has the smoke. Yeah. And because those cigarettes were apparently so strong, John McLean reads into Hans reacting. Not reacting to how strong the cigarette was. Zach Mack now staring at me. He's really intent. No, this is great. He's like, wow, this is great stuff. The cigarette, him not reacting to how strong it was, made him realize it was Hans. Giving him the gun with no bullets is an incredible twist move. And then snatching him. Oh, no bullets. (laughs) (laughs) But should have killed him right then. Yeah. Yeah. This movie has a lot of, why didn't you just kill him right then? (laughs) Moments. What's what's next, Chris? Because we probably have a decent amount of nitpicks here. Yeah. yeah, no, so we can burn through these. Let's do uh, What's Age the Best. Yeah. Because I think it's either Rickman as a villain or mm. 80s Los Angeles. I have a couple others. Okay. 
I think the title is one of like the best six titles of all time. Yeah. Sure. Awesome. Yeah. Die Hard. It looks great. It's got the extra meaning. It explains the movie. It's hard for him to die. Just like whoever thought of that was probably the same person who thought of Hans Gruber. But uh, really incredible. And also the LAPD being incompetent in the 1980s. That was it's tough. Yeah, it's very, very, very I have good. one other. It really fits the in with that era. Is uh, Gruber's crew. Al Leon. Great crew. The guy who looks like. Then there's also the guy who looks like Huey Lewis. Al Leon is the guy oh, who's. Yeah. Uh, eating chocolate <clears throat> bars in the lobby before the shootout. In every 80s action in movie. In every also. 80s action what movie. What about the rare evil black guy? Theo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, Theo. You know, not then, not uh, an 80s character Loki, very diverse movie. Yes. Heart. And then the yeah. guy who just looks like Huey Lewis who takes over at, in the lobby. <laughs> Love that guy. The but fake, is it Huey the, Lewis? The fake Texan. <laughs> yeah. He's like, oh, God damn it, I got $80 on <laughs> USC or whatever he says. Are we that. sure that wasn't Huey Lewis? It was not. I wish it was. It really, really would have been good. That's a... That's a nitpick for me is is uh, the Christmas Eve football game between USC and Notre Dame in 1988. We, I, I, it's not pretty, sure. pretty unlikely. Bill, not There's, sure Bill, that's a let's, matchup. Let's hold that. Bill, not sure that's a matchup. That okay. um, I have one other predictably very pretentious uh, what's age the best, which is just the, the cinematography. The filmmaking of this movie is unbelievable. And what separates yeah. it from movies like Cobra that you were talking about, Bill, is that it is literally the best people in their field at the height of their powers. Mm. It's McTiernan at the height of his powers. It's Jan Debon before he's a director at the height of his powers. The score is crazy good by Michael Kamen. The acting is perfect. It's really hard to shoot a movie like this where you're like in elevator shafts and you're in all these weird tight spaces. I love that. The camera's always moving around. You don't even really notice. Yeah. Like you follow every character perfectly. It's not confusing. A lot of times when you have these big action movies that happen nowadays, like movies like Skyscraper, it's always directors that are, like, pretty good. Yeah. They're, like, pretty talented, but they're not amazing. John McTiernan is literally the best action director of the 80s doing this movie, and that's totally what makes the reason that it still stands up. There's a shot in this movie that's a small shot, but it's, like, iconic for how little it's in the movie. It's McLean on top of the elevator as it's going up, and the angle gives you the entire length of the elevator shaft, and he's got this really determined look on his face. There's such a sense of place everywhere in this movie. You have a total uh, sense of all the spaces that these characters inhabit and where the action's taking place, what's going on for as chaotic as it is. And that's part of why this yeah, that movie passing is the picture so a couple great. of times, the, yes. the, the naked lady picture a couple of times, yes. and like yeah. kissing it one of those times for luck. Yeah, and the the fan that he has to take his gun out of so it keeps moving. You're right. You have, you have a map of the yes. building in your head. When you're I have one it. more. What's age the best? I think his pithy one-liners, which really went off the rails in the eighties. Yeah, the delivery that he had was really good because if you go back and watch those action movies. They're so the, some of the movies are so bad with the one line. Schwarzenegger Arnold, killed them. Yeah, Schwarzenegger Arnold specifically is just like really. Commando is literally Commando. it's every yeah every. How was your fall? Hang around. <laughs> yeah, so just like, <laughs> and these it was like really good, and he's not overselling them yeah. either. Yeah, you know, like yippee motherfucker. Like he didn't like overact any. Yeah, of it. they're they they were an organic out yeah. out like. Welcome to the party, pal. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. They he's came out really of the good. character rather than just being tacked on by a screenwriter. All right. Oh, one other. What's age the best? And this is uh, a credit to the TVs. We we always talk about the TVs with some of these movies. This in the 90s was, uh, this and Die Hard too, even worse, was really hard to watch on like TNT or whatever because 
with the square TVs, but yeah. they filmed it in a wide thing. Yeah. And like watching the action, it was always like you'd get vertigo. And then when the TVs went wide and got nice and how beautifully this movie was you shot. You were talking about this with Jaws too. Yeah. Jaws was another one. There's certain movies that just had a renaissance. Yeah. And I think this is in the top five for me. It's a great call. What's age the worst? Oof. It's hard to find one for this yeah, movie. Yeah, it is. Uh, oh, I have a bunch. Okay. How does everybody feel about you throw quite the party. I didn't realize they celebrated Christmas in Japan. And then Takagi says, hey, we're flexible. Pearl Harbor didn't work out, so we got you a take I think we yes. generally say the attitude <laughs> towards Japanese people in this yeah. movie has aged poorly. That's yes, a, that's the, a tough snatch at, dialogue. There. As I mentioned before, like the, the whole... The whole attitude towards Japan as a country was very strange in the 80s. That was one of our phobias as a country was Japan's buying up all our stuff. They, they're going to they're going to be the biggest there was economy. There's a whole plot of gung ho. Gung yeah. ho. Uh, Rising Sun is probably the worst yep. exponent of this. Black Rain. Black Rain. Like, that was that Andy was Garcia a gets thing. Decapitated. The, that was a <laughs> Watch thing out for in those the Japanese. 80s. And, and that aged quite poorly in this movie. But this is weirdly the best version of this. Yeah, it handles some stuff still reasonably well. But there's that the Pearl Harbor line jumped out to me like, wow. I mean, maybe somebody <laughs> did make a joke like that one time, but I was like, yeah. that is quite on the line. Um, I don't. What what aged badly for you, Bill? Guns on the airplane. Yeah. Smoking on the airplane. Yeah. Smoking. So in much the smoking airports. in general. Yeah. Yeah. It, midnight run of the same thing. You're like, wow, people really smoked everywhere back then. I was that always jumps out of me. Um, Bonnie Bedelia's hair is just like. It's late 80s, and it just was that kind of Cheryl Miller, WNBA kind of perm fro. <laughs> Glenn Close had it in the big chill. It was this whole four-year era of, I don't know what people were thinking with that hair. It's really unflattering. You're saying I shouldn't do the people perm fro? People did look like that at the time. They really though. did. A lot of them had it. Yeah. And you watch it now, and it feels I love just Bonnie so 80s. Heart Like a Wheel. Great movie. And they- they're really trying to sex her up at some point, like a button bursts on the blouse, so we get a little cleavage for yes. the last half hour. That felt like a real like producer note. Yes, like, got to get a button off. Yeah, the get some, blouse. Yeah. Can, Can we get some one cleavage button? over yeah. here with Bonnie? How do we feel about Hans falling to his death? I love 30 it. years later. I love it. We tell you what, special effects of it. It's in my head forever because of Die Hard with a Vengeance. Yeah, because of that moment when they reveal that Hans, that Simon is Hans's brother. And then they flash to the moment when he's falling yeah. in the movie. So because of that, you see him in slow motion. So they motion. actually dropped him 70 feet mm. yeah, when they, they shot him. Like they, they dropped him like quite a bit. That explains off, the look on his face. And they dropped him earlier than they said they were going to drop I him love to it. actually get that reaction. Yeah, they did it's one, two, three, and did it a demanding two. movie. Bruce Willis lost some of his hearing because of the, the shots going off. Like so much, it was so loud. It's still a really loud movie today when you watch it. Mm -hmm. uh, it's very, very realistic. I also think it's probably 12 minutes too long. Okay. Wow. It's 131 minutes. It's just, I, it's, it's just a little long. I know you're not as crazy about the beginning as I am. Eh, I can move faster. I love get it. Get him in the I building. Mean, that's how you get him is be fish out of water. Is have him at the airport and see, yeah, see, see like, the, the girl in the spandex jump up on the guy and eh, just be like, Fuck California. California. Yeah. My God. Yeah, move it along. I uh, love the Hans Gruber uh, falling scene. I, I don't think there's a better uh, send off for a great villain. There's nothing that matches that. And it's all, McTiernan has used that move I think at least two other times, mm -hmm. most notably in Last Action Hero, where he's essentially parodying himself. It yep. just feels, we're talking about what's not aged the best. It feels very 80s. We didn't have good special effects yet. Yeah. I love the practical effects. Though. All right. Okay. It's the only, but it's one of the only movies that has a series of sequels in which the original is longer than the sequels. Yeah. Which is a really odd thing. You know, Die Hard 2 and Die Hard Revenge are both shorter than the original Die Hard. It's very strange. 
I we wanted, can we can blow through the Dion Waiters award because I mean, there's a lot of candidates. So, so many I, candidates. So yeah, yeah, there's so many that guys in this movie. It's Hart Bogner versus Argyle in the finals. <laughs> I guess so, but like I think William Atherton and Paul Gleason definitely need Ooh. to get mentioned. Absolutely. Eh. So like, eh, really? Eh, Hart Bogner's for Richard Thornburg. Hart Bogner's <laughs> in there for 11 minutes and puts up 28 points and has eight turnovers. Thornburg's case carries over into Die Hard 2 when he's stuck on a plane with Bonnie yeah. Bedelia's it character. It's also such an incredible extension of his Ghostbusters character. Yeah. <laughs> Completely. He is just that guy. Yeah. Atherton does such a like such a great job of being like a bureaucratic suit asshole. It's so good. Yeah. I don't like uh I don't like how it reflects on journalism and these are especially sensitive <laughs> right. times in the Trump era. the Dion Waiters Award, obviously. Um, Hi, by, by the way, the greatest moment of his career winning the Dion Waiters Award. I don't know, PCU. The Dion Waiters slash Harp Award. I think being friends with Will, Warren Beatty sounds pretty cool. Yeah, We're pretty not good. talking about Paul Gleason. Paul Gleason in Paul the Gleason's run, good. a legendary run of pricks. <laughs> yeah. I mean, is this guy the worst yeah. cop of all time? Yeah. Dwayne T. Robinson, <laughs> deputy chief of LAPD. He's fucking horrible. Coming right off, clean off of Breakfast Club, leaning into a series of roles. I mean, every time somebody's like, get me a dick, they, they call Paul Gleason's yeah. agent. The thing is, I still feel like he peaked in Breakfast Club in a way that anytime you saw him in a movie, he's that guy from Breakfast Club, and it was hard for me to separate. He's just basically the principal from Breakfast Club is now working for the FBI. His face when Gruber is doing the... Uh the, the new members of the, the new Provo Front yeah. in Canada, the five imprisoned yeah, right. leaders of Liberté de Quebec, the Asian Dawn movement. And they're like, are you getting this down? Are you writing this down? I Asian love, Dawn? I love when Carl's like, Asian Dawn? Asian like, Dawn? I heard, I, I heard, I heard about, about them on 60 Minutes. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, I really, really, really want to get to um, unanswerable questions and nitpicks. So let's let's just go okay. there. All right. Um, we can, can we just quickly do the Joey Pants Award? Yeah, sure. Go ahead. Paul Gleason. Okay, thanks. So you right. give Paul Gleason, that's like his, his make Well, good. I don't think a lot of people know his name's Paul Gleason. They just know him as the principal from The Breakfast Club and the guy from Die Hard. I don't think most people would be like, if, if I showed a picture around the office, like, who's that? No, no Nobody's especially saying not our Paul, office. Especially <laughs> that our office. I'd say Reginald Val Johnson's in the conversation there for this yeah, one. Yeah, you're right. But I think he became Reginald Val Johnson. Right, but he, at this he got, is it at this time or is it forever? He yeah. literally got a sitcom right, that's, out of Die Hard. That's yeah. underrated. Is yeah. that, yeah. that Die Hard created he family battles? That's, that's amazing. He's really good in this movie, though. Yeah. I think yeah. he really gives he's this re- movie he's a good like actor. A heart. He's yeah. not only really good, he became like a thing from this movie. There were yeah. like Reginald Val Johnson articles and yeah. who is this well, guy? He kind of the plays guy who the stole part Die Hard. Bonnie Bedelia doesn't get. Yeah, yeah. Like Bonnie Bedelia lead. is cool in this movie, but she has so little interaction with McLean until the end. Whereas, like Reginald Val Johnson is basically his like partner in this movie, and he has an arc. Yeah. He has a real mm-hmm. character yeah. arc that pays off at the end Does of the not, movie. Yeah, yeah when they hug, calls. when they recognize each other without hearing one another's <laughs> voice, which is something we should discuss. Yes. <laughs> Bruce, will, yes. yeah, Bruce Willis laugh. <laughs> But he just knew it was Reginald Val Jackson. He, I remember in the theater when he shoots uh, Carl, Carl at the end, which we're going to get to in nitpicks, um, the audience <laughs> applauded in my theater. Oh, yeah. That's also that great one movie. of those. Oh! Yeah, we got to oh, 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 shoot oh, again. Yes. Yes. You shot the right guy yes. this time. <laughs> you did it. You're shooting guns again, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> it's seriously, it's like you got over your crippling fear of murdering Thank another person. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Not a child. Not a 
Jesus Christ. <laughs> Isn't that going, what's age the worst? Um, all right. So Joey Pants goes to Paul Gleason. Let's uh, let's do Apex Mountain really fast. Yeah. Okay. Bruce Willis. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yes. More yeah, than yeah. Pulp Fiction. Just let me do a little bit of Bruce Willis talk. You want to okay. do Hudson Very Hall? Hall. Yeah, yeah. No. Bruce Willis, <laughs> just go down his IMDb. Almost every movie he makes after this, up until Pulp Fiction, is the worst movie made by a good director. You've got Michael Lehman, who made Heathers and then makes Hudson Hawk. You've got Robert Benton, who worked on Bonnie and Clyde, who makes Billy Bathgate. You've got The Bonfire of the Vanities, this Brian De Palma fuck-up. You've got Look Who's Talking 2, Amy Heckerling, who made Look Who's Talking and Clueless. You've got, down the line, Mortal Thoughts, all these movies from 88 Mortal to 94. He's like Zool from Ghostbusters. It's crazy. From, he kills everything. Yeah. And he maintains a striking distance. He's got all these Color of Night, North. Hold, all of these movies are terrible. On. Hold on. You're going to ride for Color of Night? Nope. Color Striking of Night. Distance is a good movie. Okay. Okay. That is the best. Isn't that the one with Sarah Jessica Parker? That's the best Pittsburgh Coast Guard movie ever. It's uh, Rowdy uh, Harrington's worst movie. Let me just. I, I want to ride for Color of Night, which uh, in the 90s was one of the great, like, late night Skinamax mainstream yeah. movies. Yeah. That and Silver. Yeah. Color of Night, Jade, Silver. That was, that was a basic instinct ripoff yeah. there. Bruce, like, I remember seeing that with my friend Nick Aida in Massachusetts, and Bruce Willis's cock just comes flying out in the in the pool on the big fifty foot screen. It's like, come on, Bruce, put sorry, that it's not away. silver, it's sliver. Right? It's not Are, happening. Is your plan here every time you and I are on a podcast together to just Make you talk about an actor's dick? Is that something that you want to do? I'm saying it okay. came, comes flying out, coronet. I didn't enjoy uh, it. But the thing is, is like. It sounds like a criticism, and it sounds like he torpedoes these movies. He doesn't. He actually has this really cool reputation for working with interesting directors yeah. at the right time in their careers. And you know, he, goes like, he works with like Terry Gilliam. He works with obviously Tarantino. He works with. Uh, he makes The Fifth Element. He makes all these really interesting movies. And we think of him as kind of this expired action star, in part because of Die Hard. But Bruce Willis has had a pretty fascinating career. Pulp Fiction revived his career in Travolta's because at that point it was like he he can only do Die Hard, and that's it. Right. Um, I also blame Demi Moore. I think maybe maybe if he marries somebody differently, it's better scripts. No comment. No? Wow. All right. <laughs> Apex Mountain for John McTiernan. Ooh. I, he, I like Predator more. He stole Demi Moore from Millie Millie West of Us. I'm gonna I'm gonna say yes. <laughs> this is the way I love it. No, he did. Bill will not acknowledge that we've moved on in the category. Save it for the Pittsburgh. Millie Coast West of Us and Demi Moore were engaged. <laughs> she broke it off for Bruce Willis. Are you more upset about Emilio Estevez and Demi Moore or Kiefer Sutherland and Julia Roberts? What's the bigger heartbreak Amazing. for you? The Kiefer Sutherland thing was worse. Jason Patrick was the best man. Fucking runaway bride, man. Yeah. yeah, he was the best man. He took the bride. Yeah, look what happened to him. You wind up wow serving in the Pittsburgh Coast Guard. Alan okay. Richmond, Apex Mountain. Yes, Alan Richmond. Yeah, and then eighties action movies. Apex Mountain for eighties action movies. Oh man, there's a lot of good ones. I'm gonna say yes though. I say yes. Argyle movies. I think it might. I, I think it is. Yeah, I think it is. Apex Mountain. This is McTiernan's Apex for me, but it's close. I mean, I, I I like October. I like like October more. Yeah, I have one. Bonnie Bedelia. Yes or no? Isn't she in Presumed Innocent? I think Presumed Innocence or Apex Mountain. Yeah, I like Bedelia. Bedelia. She's really good in that. Yeah, Heart Like a Wheel. I I still think. Do you guys know who Bonnie Bedelia is the aunt of? No. Uh, Macaulay, Rory, and Kieran Culkin. Whoa! Whoa! She is the sister of Kit Culkin, father of the Culkin brood. 
And she dropped, I think Bedelia is her middle name. She dropped her last name professionally. Sean, are you saying that in some way... This ties into succession. The McLean Gennaro family is related to the McAllister family it's in Chicago. It's a fact. And the Roy family. In movie universe. The yeah. expanded yeah. Roy Christmas <laughs> movie universe. Yeah. They're all connected. Yeah. They're, they should do a Home Alone sequel where they go visit Uncle John and Aunt Holly in LA. <laughs> that would be good. Yeah. And Karen could go, her Jate, you're on load. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. What? I huh? There's only like 900,000 people who watch Succession, and I don't know how many people have seen Dry Hard, so then it's just going to be really Listen, weird that you for said the crossover, <laughs> For the Die Hard Succession crossover people, great show. Yeah, They're just great LOL'd. All right, I uh, need to do unanswerable questions yes. right now. There is a very important scene in this movie to me that a lot of people don't really notice, mm. and it's when Theo walks into the lobby of the Nakatomi Plaza describing a basketball play. Right. Last Korea, night goes to Worthy. First of all, no one's ever talked about basketball in this way. If I ever walked up, Jason and Sean, two people I talk to almost as much as anyone else in my life, if I ever walked into either of their offices and I was like, last night, Ben Simmons gets his steal, passes it to Robert Covington, gets it back, throws it over to Joel Embiid, two points. You guys would be like, get the fuck out of here. Have a cup of coffee, do whatever you need to do. You've lost your ability to appropriately tell a story. But that didn't stop me from trying to figure out what game he was talking about okay. last night. All right, great. Oh, so let's I go. looked up basketball reference. Mm. Die Hard was shot from November of 87 to March of 88, yeah. which corresponds with a 15-game winning streak for the Lakers. Yeah. I think that he is talking about a game that happened, if I if I'm if I'm correct, <laughs> on December eleventh. When the Lakers beat the Celtics 115-114, December eleventh, nineteen eighty seven. Magic bank bank shot to win the game, right? I, I look, I'm just saying that's what I think it could be. It would make sense. They've been on set for a couple weeks, they're bullshitting with each other. This is incredible. They're watching basketball. They're, you know, like maybe there's one game on a week or whatever, but the Celtics Lakers would definitely have been televised. Nationally televised. Magic is, made the bank shot, ran off with this the This is up there with uh what day was uh it was a good day. It was a good day. What day so was what the good bas- day? What this Lakers game is Theo talking about in Die Hard? He walks in, describes his play in the most boring <laughs> way possible, shoots another man in the head, or actually, I guess his friend does, yeah. and Huey then Lewis takes does. up more building and steals six hundred and forty million dollars. But I am obsessed with the idea. If you guys have a better idea out there of what game he's specifically talking about, it has to be the eighty-seven, eighty-eight season, and it has to be. The calendar year of 87 because it's Christmas. Yes. So we haven't gotten into 88 yet. And also I want to know, could could USC and Notre Dame have played on Christmas Eve at any point in the 80s? Right. Okay. So Did they even have bowl games on Christmas Eve in the 1980s? The reason that Clarence Gilliard's character is talking that way is because he's standing next to a gigantic German ballerina <laughs> with a jacket full of guns yeah. so he needs to distract the guy obviously right yes so that that that's the only explanation for why that character why theo is acting like a lunatic talking about the lakers unless maybe he was just a huge lakers fan i mean th- there's banter among groups of of people right like he must have been like i have to be talking about something because otherwise yeah. it's just going to be a gigantic german dude a black guy walking into nakatomi plaza on christmas eve for no reason whatsoever my interpretation was terrorists like the lakers and take that for what you will <laughs> That says, that, that says a lot about that franchise. That says a lot about that franchise. They're thieves. Good call. 
Yeah. <laughs> Get it right. Didn't hear them talk about the Celtics, did you? <laughs> I have one more uh, unanswerable question. Roger Ebert gave this movie two stars. This is a recurring theme when we do the rewatchables, when we go back and Roger Ebert has some terrible take. Are we sure Roger Ebert was good? No, he was amazing. Roger okay. Ebert was absolutely amazing. It seems amazing. like every single time he's completely off with he has every had movie he does. Many bad opinions over the years. An extraordinary number okay. of bad opinions, but he is good. He's a volume shooter. He gave so Dyer like, two stars. It happens. Two. I think my dad thought it was stupid. I mean, like, people thought this movie was stupid. When he didn't it. like the cop was his big reason. He didn't like the FBI agents that the whole cop interplay thought it ruined the movie. Really? Wow. It's on the internet. He Do has a whole huge thing. Being like, and I Cisco's just watched like, Die Hard and thought it sucked. And Cisco's <laughs> looking at him like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> that was amazing. You know, it's interesting I'm to go. Team Cisco and It's Cisco interesting neighbor. to go back and watch the trailers, the official trailers, because the first two are like, here is a synopsis of Die Hard because we realized Bruce, you don't trust Bruce Willis as an action star. And then by the third official trailer, they're like, okay, I, this movie is going to be a hit. And it's yeah. just the Beethoven's ninth yeah. ode to joy yeah. with explosions. And then mm -hmm. these words flying at you that literally say, you will be blown through the Great back trailer. wall of the theater. It's like they're, they, by that trailer, they realized, okay, people are going to love this movie. Yeah, and they said in the in the research and the marketing, they were so afraid to market Willis because they were so scared to put him at the forefront of a movie. And then, as Jason said at the end, it was like, yeah, it flipped. It was like Bruce Willis, here he is. Yeah. So they must have marketed the living shit out of that thing. Um, Roger Ebert, I don't think he was good. Any other unanswerable? <laughs> wow. Any other yeah. unanswerable questions? Two, two stars right for Die Hard. That. Fuck that guy. <laughs> Yo, let me just say, I'm on just behalf of the ringer, I'm that trying to torture Roger Ebert. No, I like one of the most important just, cultural teasing. writers in the history I'm of America. Yes. I'm pro Ebert. did an amazing amount of work for cinema. I'm pro Ebert. <laughs> I do Die not Hard stand by stars. fuck that guy. Die Hard Two Stars <laughs> is really bad. Any other unanswerable questions before we get to nitpicks? I love the idea that uh, Gruber didn't plan to get his whole crew out. Yes. This is, yeah. It, I mean, if you recall when Tony or whoever is on the roof and Bruce Willis is also up there and Hans is like, blow the roof. And they're like, but Tony's whoever is still up there. And he just grabs the detonator and is like mashing it. So this is a big theory online, right? Yeah, I agree with that. Okay. So I I can't trace this to a single author, although I do, I did find one by a guy named Robert Warder writing for Cracked, who basically breaks down how there was no way Hans ever was going to get his whole crew out of this building because the ambulance yeah. is so much smaller than the semi truck that they came in. <laughs> yeah. Now they brought a lot of shit with them and maybe they would leave it behind. But basically the, the biggest nitpick of this whole movie is does Hans, Hans's plan make any sense? Uh, I think it, it just in terms of getting out of the building with the money, I think it does. If there's no if there's no John McClane, he succeeds. You could fit thirteen Germans in an ambulance. <laughs> <laughs> I think the part of the plan that doesn't make sense to me is when he's uh, he says at one point uh, by this time next year we'll be sitting on a beach earning twenty percent. So he mm -hmm. planned to put the bear bonds in a, in a bank somewhere. My name is Hans Gruber. G R U B E B E R. Yeah. <laughs> No umlaut and yeah, deposit. Well, funny you should ask. Here's six hundred and forty million dollars in Takagi Industries bearer bonds. You know, 
I got to say, Bear Bonds have been involved in so many of the movies that I love, and I don't understand where they are. What are you they in are. Bear Bonds? Chris, can you no, tell us I don't even favorite? know what they are. You're, you're an economist. What are Bear Bonds? <laughs> yes. Yeah, what are Bear Bonds, Chris? They're, they bear, <laughs> they bear. <laughs> a ton of money in just a little bit of paper. Right. Okay. And they bond you to them. <laughs> You're bonded to them. I have an unanswerable question. <laughs> what are Bear Bonds? What are Bear Bonds? <laughs> um, what was going on with the McLean Janera marriage? Good question. Yeah. She's in L.A., She's got this fancy job working for George Takaji, whatever his name was. Yeah. George Takaji. The Nakatomi Corporation. Yeah. The Nakatomi Corporation. He's in New York. He's a cop. They're not divorced. They have kids. What the fuck is going on? I think Argyle. She didn't take his name. All the stuff in the 80s I think was Argyle, really weird. Argyle had him dead to rights when he was like, you thought she was going to move out here and it wasn't going to work out and she'd be back. And now she's riding high. So you're coming out to like make amends. I think that's exactly what happened. I have some problems with that. Yeah. Um, I, imagine if your wife got a job. I wouldn't have married somebody who didn't take my name, but keep going. No, she, the thing is, is that she, we know that <laughs> she, incredible podcast. Like I'm, I'm going to steer right around that one. Um, <laughs> We know that she so took his name because let's not get married at the then. beginning of the movie, when he enters her name into the computer system, yeah. it doesn't. Yeah, it's not. It's there. not there, right. and she's obviously changed her name back. And right. She's begun using, and I, I assume that she's been working for Nakatomi for a long time, right? This isn't like right. a new. And she gig. says that it's because they're sort of stuck up that she's got to like maintain a certain appearance, right? So it, it is. It's just really confusing, like where they're at in their marriage. Like, have they agreed I to take a break? It seems like she's. Probably having sex with somebody at work. Ellis. But not Ellis. You don't Maybe think Ellis one night. Been. Ellis was knocking on the door. Ellis was trying, I think. Show the watch. Yeah. Blows a couple of lines with Ellis. Things get out of hand. <laughs> but yeah, I have a lot of problems with the marriage. She changes the name back. That, at that point, you're getting divorced. In the 80s, though, maybe it was a little bit more complicated than that. Yeah. By the way, hard to change your name. It's not something you'd be like, hey, I have a new last name. Like... Zach Mack didn't come in like, hey, my name's Zach Thompson But you're not now. distracted by the internet in the 80s. You can just yeah, that's go true. down to City yeah. Hall and be I'm like, I have free, free internet. You could just basically be anybody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's very, it was very easy. I have uh, two picking nits. Yeah. Argyle's cell phone is in the basement of this fucking 80-story building. Like, that cell phone now isn't getting reception. I can't get reception if I go 20 feet next to the men's bathroom over there yeah, tell me on about the it. Sunset Gower lot. Argyle's perfect reception on a cell phone in a limo that, by the way, like two people had in 1988. Also, Argyle only on has one, one gig that day. He's just like, I'm just going to fucking hang out at this building at for the eight Nakatomi hours. building? Also, he's just getting shithoused in the back of his limo for like it. eight hours? What's he doing? Yeah. Just drinking all the bottles I think he was of doing liquor? that in real life. I'm That's why we never saw our guy again. I'm going to ride for the cell phone for the simple fact that just, you, just like you said, nobody had cell phones. So you're just like, oh, yeah, that must work, right? A phone in a limo? Well, we're talking two years before Wall Street, Michael Douglas. He's on the beach with this giant the spaceship cell phone. And when he had that thing, everybody who saw the movie was like, Wow, he's so rich. He has a phone that doesn't need a cord. Two years later, Argyle's in the fucking basement talking to people in like Detroit. Uh, that was one thing. And then the other thing, um, we got to talk about it. It's the biggest flaw in the movie. 
Carl comes back at the end after he's yes, manages dead. to sneak that's out every eighties action movie. No, yeah. but that's like that's lethal you weapon. See how as well, he dies? Like, he's dangling and he's just like he's hung. He's dead. How does he come back? I don't know. We could do that in every single one of these no. movies. It's Michael Myers. Yeah, you know? it's Michael Myers. You know, the, the, the villain always comes back. He's hanging. Who let him down? My thing is like maybe he, he broke. He managed to sneak through the police lines with like a Steyer Aug fully automatic. <laughs> yeah, you're running everybody out of the building and you're putting blankets on people and you're like, okay, you know, like the pregnant lady and the guy who works with like this guy. Right, and the six and foot then one. And a giant blonde guy who was just hung <laughs> with a machine gun, like with like something jacked up underneath his shoulder or whatever. And they're just like, yeah, here's a blanket, man. How you doing? Did you, did you like, what's your name? And he wasn't like, my name is. Jimmy, I work in accounting. What do you think Carl's- I was on the third floor. <laughs> what do you think his plan was there? Was it to kill every single person well, there with that so machine gun? Because he's by personal vengeance. I don't think he cared. Right. He just wanted him to claim. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's also a great Patriot Games, I believe, rips this off when it's like, you know, the there's the overarching uh, mission for the gang, which is like, get the money. But then this one guy is like, he killed my brother. I have to kill this guy. I saw, I was going through YouTube clips- and uh, it was the scene when Carl dies. The The title was Carl dies. And the first comment on YouTube was, Carl killed Carl. <laughs> like, it was, it was like super disappointed in Carl's performance. I was like, I love YouTube comments. That's incredible. Uh, uh, my, only other, my only nitpick per se is just from a personal standpoint is just that uh, shoes would be a priority for me. Um, mm. I would I would be emphasizing the end of the movie. finding shoes throughout the film. Sure. I would be like, this is going to really hinder my ability to survive. I just feel like I'm going to be doing a lot of running right now. Whatever I can do to get a pair of shoes, even if I have to like cut holes in the guy's shoes that were too small or something, like I'm doing that because before even the glass hits the ground, I just can't run around a skyscraper with bare feet. It's a great point. Great nitpick. It would have been my only goal, even over Find saving the all the hostages. Yeah. Just the first person I killed, I would have grabbed somebody's shoes. It's a trope that I'm surprised hasn't been ripped off more, the barefoot guy. I think Children of Men does it. Yeah. Kind of. But it's like, yeah, it just adds a layer of vulnerability to him. He does try on the shoes at one he point. He does, and he's like, this guy's got feet smaller than my sister. And it's like, I get, I get, I get that that's yeah. uncomfortable, but it's just such a high-intensity situation. Wouldn't yeah. you rather have mildly uncomfortable but protected feet than be like I just I'm just gonna go barefoot in my combat with these terrorists 100% yeah I also what do you think his injuries were when he went to the hospital oh massive blood loss yeah did you see the bathroom when he's clearing the glass out of his feet it looks like he got his head chopped off do you think he had like severed tendons in his feet Yeah, it's kind the of plantar tendons. Did he have to have that. stitches? Yeah, the plantar tendons are. Did he, did he battle plantar fasciitis like for the rest of his life? So you couldn't walk for a long time, <laughs> right? Dude, it'd be like like having like, you know, the same way like when a guy does his Achilles, he's like, "Well, I'm gaining thirty pounds." Like he just would be out of commission. He's probably got a cracked rib from when he jumped off the building and the rope concussion. Like, yeah, ear, ear, he, couple ear damage. He is CTE. That that's Sorry, probably what happened with the fourth Die Hard movie. That's probably the CTE really <laughs> ravaged him. But like, imagine like Vince Carter. Just on the broken glass scene, he's done. He's not helping anybody from that point on. He's just lying down. <laughs> he's like, oh, my feet he's like oh, listen, my feet are cut up. Uh, can you get a SWAT team in here? Yeah, I'm just done. Just up the building. I'm, I'm done, done guys. We're all going to die. It. Sorry. My feet hurt. Oh, man. Uh, any other nitpicks, Bill? Um, I mean, we, we 
we hit on this already, but I just think it has to be mentioned one more time. The $640 million of bearer bonds in the, in the safe. I just need to know more about bearer bonds and would I, anybody ever have that Googled much in bearer one bonds place? And I don't, I still don't understand yeah. them. A bearer bond is a bond or debt security issued by a business entity such as a corporation or a government. Yeah, I, my, my thing with the bearer bonds is twofold. One, he's got to be dirty for having that much. And two, what, how is it that it's so publicized that people are like, we got to go get the bearer bonds in the Nakatomi Plaza? Like, if you have $640 million in bearer bonds in your vault, maybe don't say anything about it. Yeah, keep that Keep, keep that, that quiet. Why, why do, George people, Takaji, why do people know about that? We missed two, two weird factual things. One was when McLean falls down the ventilation shaft, the stuntman who did that actually really fucked up and mm. fell. Oh, really? And then caught himself. And then they just decided to use that actual cut. It was a fuck up. And that's why it looks so cool. And then uh, Bruce Willis was shooting Moonlighting at the same time during that's the day. incredible. And shooting Die Hard at night. And also married Demi Moore during the shoot. Action packed. What a, f- what a month for Bruce. For my yeah. guy. He's dealing with Sebel Shepard. He's dealing, he stole Demi Moore from Emilio Estevez. <laughs> He's working 20 hours a day. He's got blood on his feet. So what, a, what a stretch for so him. So it is Apex Mountain. Uh, best quote. These are just absolute barn burners. Come out to the coast. We'll get together. I have a few one. laughs. Yeah, it's great. Yippee-ki-yay, motherfucker. Um, just like fucking Saigon. Hey, Slick. Yeah. A couple that I'd rather not say on a podcast, mm-hmm. maybe. <laughs> Yippee-ki-yay, motherfucker, was the iconic line. Was great in the moment. If you watch the trailer and then even the commercials that they do at the time, they did a really nice job of cutting out right before he says the mm-hmm. swear, but yeah. it yeah. gives you the In the edited version, they usually put like a an explosion or like a bullet sound, yeah. um, like a firing gun at, for the motherfucker if you catch it on like TNT. Oh, yeah. It always hurts. Uh, you guys have any other best quotes you want to add? No, they, you hit them. I mean, you can't yeah. top Yippie Yeah, it's, it's boring, but it's iconic. I think Rickman it's, gets it's a lot of lines. You mentioned the earlier one. Um, Alexander, you know, yeah. the, the benefits of an education. And also, I just love the whole sequence when he essentially introduces himself as like this priest-like figure in front of the whole staff. Oh, he's like, nice suit. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah but I think that um, come out to the coast, we'll get together, have a few laughs is my favorite. We left out one category that I think is important. Okay. Danny Trejo, Steve Buscemi, or Michael K. Williams, who would have fit in this movie the best? I'm actually shocked Trejo's not in this movie. I think all three of them could have been Gruber's crew. I I think Michael K. Williams would have been the best one for this. Okay. He easily could have been in that crew in nine different ways. Where did Gruber find this multinational group of terrorists? It's always a great question. Yeah. I think that- Where do you find terrorist henchmen? Who are these guys? (laughs) There's got to be conventions of some kind. We can't even- (laughs) I was going to say message boards, but they didn't have them back then. We can't even find a basketball writer. But if you're Gruber doing a lot of wet work for East, fallen Eastern European yeah. governments, you meet people, you know? Yeah. Okay. Sure. Hans is like... <laughs> you meet him in the Pittsburgh Coast Guard. What do you want me to tell you? I don't know. Hans is like, Carl, do we have a deal? And he's like, you've got to hire my brother. He's great. <laughs> he really needs a chance. He's been, done some right. smaller terrorist stuff. Right. I think he's ready to blast yeah. them. They're the Morris twins of the terrorist <laughs> yeah. world. Yeah. We, sure. we have like sort of a duo routine when we're cutting telephone wires. Yeah. I use a chainsaw. He's very precise. Then he meets his brother and his brother's like, hey, I went to college with this guy, Bob. He'll be great. He knows how to drive an ambulance. So uh, let's wrap up with this. 
there is a very crucial question, which I honestly like, mm. you know, a lot of times we go into this, this section, yeah. we go into these movies. I kind of know the answers before we get there, but this is great. I'm so glad to be doing this pod with you guys. I'm very curious what each of you say, who won this movie? Mm. It's a, it's a two horse race, but I don't, it's too close to call. For it me. seems like one of those immediately you think you have the answer, but then you think about it more and you're like, eh. It's it's a movie that so is, it's either Hart Bachner or Bonnie Bedelia, <laughs> right? Yes. That's those are the two. Yes, okay. or that stunt guy who fell down the <laughs> air conditioning shaft. George Takagi does not win the movie. No, it's between Rickman no. and Willis. Yeah, mm-hmm. cocaine is in there too. <laughs> I'm gonna go Willis just because it basically created his entire career. He's got a he's got a two track career after this, which is action movie star and co star in good movies, mm-hmm. um, and. The second one only exists because he has the first one. And so I'm going to go uh, Bruce Willis. Before we go down the road a little further, are we sure McTiernan's not in the conversation here? Yeah. I think you could make that argument, but I think when you, it's it's like you can't overthink this. Like I think you, when I watched it again last night for like Bill, the 180th time, I think this might be the movie I've rewatched the most in my life. No, you've watched no, it Jaws. Most. Jaws. Jaws. He. 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 She was my whole life. Please exclude Jason and I from your sick Michael Mann romance. Okay, motherfuckers! (laughs) Okay! Guess we just got made. Uh, (laughs) You guys are good. You know what they're looking at? I'll tell you what they're looking at. LAPD. Police department. Can we do a podcast where <laughs> me, Chris, and Jason just do the entire script of Heat? <laughs> it's a live reading. We can only do Pacino, Albert. though. The only thing All we, the we can do voice. Pacino and Trejo. We can't do any other voices. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I just want to say with the McTiernan point and who won the movie, I think it's become more of a thing now. In the 80s, I didn't know who directed any movie. Mm-hmm. It was true. never on my radar. That's true. You, you were either George Lucas even and Scorsese- Right. Or you were nobody. I think that this is one of those movies, guys like him, guys like James Cameron, guys mm-hmm. who were like committed to making action genre movies, but took them really seriously and were really craft focused, kind of made us care about these kinds of, made us care about directors in general yeah. more. Um, I think, you know, going right to Hunt for Red October and then he makes Last Action Hero, which I, if I could, would do a rewatchables on and would save because I think it's good. And I've always thought it was good. He's but a, that's a whole other conversation. I'll go further. McTiernan is not... It has not made a bad movie. There's an interesting moment in every single movie he's right. made. Even the 13th Didn't Warrior Rollerball has. Rollerball is interesting shit in Rollerball. Like, yeah. I love McTiernan's movies. I, he's, he's, he's also. Wait, did he do the James Conn Rollerball? Uh, no, no, no. The, the remake. The remake. He's the remake also, of uh, Thomas Crown as well. Yes. Which he's is very good. Like it's very good. One of those really great lost talents for like a, a really big chunk of what would have been his prime. Of course, Sean, like that, that whole mm-hmm. Anthony Pelicano's case where he kind of just got taken out of the mix. Yes. I mean, he literally went to prison for 11 months because he was part of a surveillance ring, essentially (laughs) run by a private investigator slash crook. Well, Um, you can't judge. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it has, it has complicated his legacy and he'll never make a movie again. I I think he's in his late sixties now, but to to do what? (laughs) To write about basketball? Argyle's Argyle Argyle story. Argyle's still in the basement. He's still on the cell phone. Um, To answer the the bigger question, I think it's definitely Bruce Willis who won. I would put McTiernan and Rickman on an on. I think I actually think Rickman wins the movie. Mm. I just think it's just it's a really good action movie. Rickman makes it like a great movie. That's true. I have a great answer for this because it happened the same year this movie came out. 
To me, this is like the dunk contest with Dominique and MJ. Bruce Willis wins the movie. But Rickman, what do you think Theo says about that Rickman dunk should have won the Michael movie. Michael Jordan dribbles up to the hoop, <laughs> dunks the basketball, two points. <laughs> two points. Uh, but Rickman, Rickman really wins the movie because he creates this archetype that becomes the mm-hmm. most dominant action movie thing we see. Um, but I think you look at where Willis was before and after this movie, it's no contest. He becomes yeah. like an A-plus lister yeah. for 30 years. Okay, twist. Reginald Vell Johnson wins the movie because, as Jason <laughs> noted, he literally gets a sitcom that runs for eight years and he's still cashing sweet residuals and off creates of that Urkel. show. Yes. yes. Bill, we should do a side pod where we just rewatch that December 11th Lakers-Celtics game. I think he had great takes on that. Thanks, man. And I do think terrorists like the <laughs> Lakers. That's my, that's my final <laughs> point. Thanks for listening to the Rewatchables. Watchables. 